0: Good morning, Campbell Road. It's so good to be here again on this Lord's Day. What a wonderful morning. I love you guys. I really do. I'm so glad that Lucy and I are here. I'm so glad for all of you. Let's turn in our Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. Grab a Bible and turn with me to Colossians chapter 2. This is the first Sunday for this local congregation in the new year of 2024, I might sense a few of you already getting a little uneasy because you're thinking, oh no, here's the preacher at the new year and he thinks he has to get his resolution sermon out of the way. And truth be told, this first slide isn't going to put your mind at ease. New Year's resolutions. Some people love them. Some people couldn't be more annoyed. Some people are wondering why people keep telling them to make resolutions. Uh, And honestly, I think resolutions can be a good thing. I've made a few myself, but we're actually not talking about resolutions this morning. Instead, we're going to talk about new years reminders. New years reminders. So let's explore kind of the the difference between the two. Thinking back to new years resolutions. What is the phrase that essentially epitomizes this idea of making new years resolutions? You've all heard it. New year, new me. New year, new me. In 2024, I'm going to be that new person that I've wanted to be. And what does that insinuate though what does that imply it implies that that the me of 2023 was this old me that there's something really wrong with this old me of 2023 and there needs to be some major changes what changes i'm glad you asked here's my list of resolutions and this is what's going to make me the new me in 2024 but the problem with that sometimes can be that we don't always follow through with all of our resolutions and so the natural implication of that would be, well, because I didn't follow up on every resolution I made in 2024, it's a new year, but I guess it's just the same old me. It's, it's not the new me that I wanted to be in 2024. However, reminders, on the other hand, don't say new year, new me. Reminders say new year, same new me. When we're talking about our Christian walk in 2024, I think this is a better idea for us to have. Again, don't don't misunderstand me here with with the contrast. We're not saying that we don't need to be motivated, that we don't need to seek improvement, that we don't need to be more resolved in 2024, but what we are talking about with this contrast is our motivation. The danger sometimes of resolutions is thinking, because I've made this checklist, because I've made these resolutions, that's going to be my motivation to do better. However, reminders specifically this morning what we're going to talk about, reminders about who God is and who we are, is actually a better way to be make improvements and, and to be resolved in 2024. And I think this is actually uh, something we see biblically, and we're, we're going to try to prove that this morning. But first, I just want to go through a few passages to prove the point that God, in fact, is a God of reminders. We, we see this all over Scripture. Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12-15, through 15, Therefore, I intend always to remind you Of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Peter was writing to Christians by way of reminder. Again, Jude, Jude 5, I now want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Jude was writing to Christians by way of reminder. Paul, again in Romans 15, verses 14 and 15, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given to me by God. Paul wrote to Christians by way of reminder, just one more, John, in 1 John 2, verse 21. I wrote to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Peter, Jude, Paul, John, all wrote to Christians by way of reminder. Christians need reminders. But also notice that these writers were writing to Christians to bring about some kind of resolve to bring about some kind of change and improvement, but how did they go about doing that? They didn't write to the Christians that you need to follow this specific checklist in order to make you new. They wrote to Christians reminding them that they are new, and that's why they should improve. And that's the idea of reminders for 2024. Just quickly, I want to give you kind of a roadmap of what we're going to do this morning, so hopefully you can track with me. What we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at how the nation of Israel, in fact, was set up this very same way. How they had a new year set up by God that gave them specific reminders. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at how that was set up for Israel. We're going to look at the reminders that they had. Then we're going to look at how actually those things were fulfilled in Jesus and how we have the same reminders today in 2024. The first thing we're going to do is turn to Colossians 2. And talk about shadows and substance. The verses we really want to focus on is 16 and 17. We're going we're gonna to begin in verse 13 to get a little bit of context. Colossians two, thirteen, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them and him. Therefore, verse 16, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Paul, even in his format of his letters, most of the time, kind of gives us this idea of reminders. He usually starts out in the first half of his letter talking about who God is and what God has done. And then he finishes the letter by talking about, therefore, this is how you should live. And he's finishing up that section about God at the end of chapter 2. And he's specifically focusing on how Jesus is superior to the Old Testament system. Jesus nailed the demands of that Old Testament system to the cross, but then Paul brings up this idea of how those things were shadows And Jesus was the true substance. I think it's easier to think about it like this. If you're walking around a corner and you see the shadow of somebody coming around the corner, an outline of a human, you know that that's a person. You know that you're about to see a human being, but you don't see the actual person yet. You just see the shadow. The shadow anticipates the person, but the shadow is not actually the person. In fact, there wouldn't be a shadow without the person to cast the shadow. But it's also lacking details. I I can see the shadow, and I might know it's a human, but I don't know how tall they are or their ethnicity or anything about their personality. You see, the shadow anticipates the thing, but it's not the actual thing. And that's what Paul is saying about Jesus. But the interesting thing is that he includes in this list festivals, how festivals were a shadow, something that Jesus was the substance of. And what you might not know is that Israel's new year was set up in a way that they remembered and and remembered many different feasts, by the way, of a festival that God set up. We call it the Passover festival. Um, Now, the Bible will use the term Passover kind of in a shorthand way, because in that pilgrimage to Jerusalem when they went for Passover, there was actually three different feasts in Israel's new year. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. But when God very first instituted the Passover, when the Israelites were still in Egypt, and he was going to instruct them on how to observe the Passover, he first, before doing that, told them how he was going to redeem them. He told them at the beginning of of Exodus 6 of how he was going to redeem them, but they didn't actually believe that. They didn't believe that God was going to redeem them. But even before that, God, God is telling the people that this is going to be a new year for you. Exodus 12, verses 1 and 2, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. God is trying to convince them something new is happening. This is going to be your new year, and I am going to redeem you. But the people didn't actually believe that. We'll see that in just a minute. But this feast, this this festival of Passover, actually had three different parts to it, just to get our mind wrapped around this again. First, you had the actual Passover meal. Then you had the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and then you had the Feast of First Fruits. We might not be as familiar with the other two feasts, but actually all three of these would have been observed at the same time when the Israelites went to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. This, this was the Passover festival Passover, unleavened bread, and Feast of First Fruits. The first one I want to do is just go through quickly and review these three feasts and kind of what they were all about. We're probably most familiar with the Passover. The Passover was instituted when the Israelites were still in the land of Egypt, and God was going to bring them out of the land of Egypt by saving them from the 10th plague, and how they were going to be saved was by observing the Passover. They were supposed to take a young lamb and bring it into their home, but not just any lamb, a lamb that was without blemish and was spotless, and they are supposed to bring it into their home on the 10th day of the month, and then four days later, on the 14th of the month, they were supposed to sacrifice this lamb, slaughter it. And then they're supposed to take that blood and wipe it on their doorpost. And because of that blood, the destroyer would pass over their home. But there was more instructions about the Passover. The, the lamb, it's, its bones couldn't be broken. And they were supposed to actually consume the lamb afterwards. They were supposed to have a Passover meal. And it would also include unleavened bread and bitter herbs. But it was a Passover meal. And while they ate the meal, they were supposed to be having the, their sandals on and their belts fastened and their staff in hand ready to leave Israel, or ready to leave, um, excuse me, Egypt, that's where they were leaving, Egypt, in haste, Egypt. Um, And so so it's a Passover meal that they commemorated, but it wasn't just a one-time event, it was going to be an annual memorial. And God also set up, at the same time, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and it was closely tied to the Passover, it also remembered the Exodus event, but the idea of the Feast of Unleavened Bread was simply that you cleanse all of the leaven out of your home. You completely rid the home of leaven. And for a week, the Israelites were going to have the Feast of Unleavened Bread, remembering how God had made them now unleavened and taken their leaven away from Egypt. But then we have the Feast of First Fruits. We might not be as familiar with the Feast of First Fruits. This came later, once the people were already in the Promised Land. That's when they would have started observing it. And the idea of the first fruits was that they would have taken the first fruits of their crop in that first month and gave an offering to God. Um, Now, the Israelites were a completely agrarian society. Uh, They really didn't even eat meat all that much. It was more of a delicacy. So their crops were their life. And the first crop of the new year that was given in this first fruits feast was the barley crop. So they would have taken a section of barley, a little measurement of barley. Actually, it was an omer, uh, the same amount of manna that the people used to gather. And they would offer up that omer to God. And the picture was this. They were thanking God for giving them the crop, for giving them life, but it was, almost, it was also a, a promise of future crops to come. It was a promise of more to come in the future, a promise of how God was going to continue to give them life. That was the idea of the first fruits. So they offered up this barley offering. And so when we talk about the Passover festival, it includes all three of these feasts. They would have went once to Jerusalem one time a year to observe all three of these feasts. But these feasts were not just for entertainment. Um, This was over a week-long celebration. There would have been many rest days, and they, they were feasts. They were festivals, celebrations. But it wasn't just to have a good time. It was in order to teach the people something, to instruct the people, to remind them. So what was the purpose of these three feasts, the three reminders that Israel had in their new year? When we think back to the Passover, what was it remembering? The Passover was remembering how the people were redeemed from Egypt, how they were freed from slavery, how they were freed from bondage, how they escaped death. God redeemed them. They needed God, and God came to the rescue. But not only did He redeem them, it took something. Every year they would remember how them being redeemed from Egypt required a sacrifice, and not just any sacrifice, it required a perfect sacrifice, spotless, without blemish a perfect lamb, and it required sacrificial blood. It was sacrificial blood that redeemed Israel. It required death to bring Israel new life. The Israelites remembered redemption when they remembered the Passover. Then when we think about the the Feast of Unleavened Bread, it it didn't so much remember redemption as it did remember the implications of redemption. Redemption. I think it helps to, uh, to understand the leavening process, to really appreciate this. Um, if you've made sourdough bread, you're already ahead of the game a little bit, from what I hear. Uh, but, but when the Israelites, ancient Israelites, leavened bread, they didn't go to the store and pick up a little box that said leaven and pour that in the dough. Uh, it was actually just a natural process. They would, they would ground their grain down to a flour, they would mix some water with that, and then just leaving that out in the air, naturally, the elements would allow that to ferment into leaven. Likely the first time this happened was probably by accident. But that's how they would do it. But, but that would take a little bit of time. That was a process. So what you could do to speed up the process is you could take a little bit of that already leavened lump and put that in your new lump. And now when that is going to ferment and leaven, it's going to happen faster. And it's going to leaven completely. And you can keep doing that process again and again and again. You can see how that first little leaven can go to the next and go to the next and go to the next. And so the idea of leaven is it's powerful and it's influential. But if we think about it in the context that the Bible almost always talks about leaven, in a negative context, you might say that leaven is infectious. And that's why they were remembering the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They were remembering how they were getting out the old leaven of Egypt and becoming unleavened. They got out all the leaven of that pagan nation about sacrificing to idols and sexual morality and anger and greed. They were putting all that the Egyptians had taught them behind them. They were becoming unleavened. They were becoming pure. But not only that, God was about to take them straight to Mount Sinai in order for Him to leaven them. They were getting out the old, becoming pure so that they could be something new. The idea of unleavened bread was a reminder that you're a new person. And then we think about the Feast of First Fruits. What was the reminder? In the Feast of First Fruits. Well, again, they're offering up this barley harvest and they're asking God to continue to provide life for them in the future. The idea is that God gives us life. He not only saved us from death and made us a new person, but He continues to provide the life we need. If there's no crops, there's no Israel. Droughts were a big deal. And so God is the one that was providing them life and they gave this first offering of the very first of their first crop to say, God, we give this to you and we're asking you to provide for us in the future. It was a promise of more to come They gave the Israelites a future hope. You can kind of see a progression with these things, right? First, you start with being redeemed, saved from death, then you turn into a new person and then you have a hope for the future. It's interesting how God set that up. He wanted the Israelites... To have a reminder to remember. It's interesting, interesting how God didn't set up their new year. It's interesting how God didn't set up Israel's new year by saying, we're going to do a, a complete rundown of the law again, like this Deuteronomy thing that Moses did. Let's just do that every first of the year. Or, or maybe we're just going to make this verbal commitment again of everything that we're going to do. We're going to make a new resolution checklist at every beginning of the year. That's going to be your new year celebration. It's interesting how God set up reminders for Israel, reminders about who God was and who they were. That was their motivation going in to the new year. So what does that have to do with us? Well, as we said at the beginning, Jesus was the substance of these things. Those things were shadows, and Jesus actually fulfilled these things. Jesus was the true substance. And I think we missed a slide there. We're going to stay right there. Jesus was the true substance. Jesus essentially fulfilled all three of those feasts. And essentially, he said all three of those things I came to be the Redeemer. I came to make you a new person. I came to give you a future hope. But he didn't just say it, he actually lived it out. And this becomes very apparent when you look at the final week of Jesus' life. You might remember that the final week of Jesus' life was the Passover week, the Passover festival. When the Israelites would have been celebrating all three of the feast: Passover, unleavened bread, and the first fruits. You might remember when Jesus comes into the city, that beginning of the week would have been the time that the Israelites would have been selecting their Passover lambs. You might recall at what we call the triumphal entry, the people select Jesus. They call him son of David, and they essentially want to make him king, and the people select him as he comes into the city. And at that same time, the people would have been ridding their houses of leaven, getting rid of all the leaven in their homes. And you might recall the first thing that Jesus does when he comes into Jerusalem. He goes to his father's house, the temple, and he rids the money changers out of his father's house. He was getting rid of the leaven in his father's house. And then you might remember that, that these lambs were inside the people's homes now, and they had the opportunity to inspect the lambs, to make sure that they were spotless and without blemish, and you might recall that Jesus, for the next few days, was under inspection. How the religious rulers were trying to find some kind of spot, some kind of blemish in who Jesus was. But eventually, the people turned on Jesus, and they decided to crucify him. And it was at the time when the Passover lambs would have been slaughtered that week that Jesus was crucified on a cross, his blood running down a wooden post just like the first Passover. His bones were not broken. Pilate could find no fault in him. He was a perfect Passover lamb, and now we symbolically consume his body and his blood. But then, he was buried in a tomb. And then that Sunday, which happened to be the feast of firstfruits, Jesus rose from the dead. When the priest was waving this barley offering, asking God to give them a gift, asking God to give them future life, to give them hope for the future, that was the day that Jesus was resurrected as our first fruits of the resurrection, promising us a resurrection to come. It's almost like God planned it that way. (laughs) Jesus fulfilled the New Year festival of Passover. The feast of Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits. He was the real substance of that. But we might ask, you know, it's kind of cool how Israel had all of those feasts and festivals and reminders. Why don't we have those things anymore? Why did God just throw all those things away? Why don't we have a New Year's celebration like Israel had? Why don't we have the same reminders? Well, essentially the answer is uh, we do. God didn't just throw them away like throwing trash in a trash can, like they never existed. Jesus fulfilled them, You might remember how Jesus instituted a feast before he was crucified. We call it the Lord's Supper. And what do we remember in the Lord's Supper? We partake of unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine representing his blood. Unleavened bread representing Christ's perfect, sinless body, without blemish, without spot. He was the perfect sacrifice that needed to be made. And then the fruit of the vine representing his blood, his redeeming blood. that doesn't save us from physical slavery from Egypt but saves us from sin. But what about the Feast of Firstfruits? How does that fit into the Lord's Supper? You might remember that Paul says that when we partake of the Lord's Supper, we proclaim His death until He comes. Why would you proclaim someone's death? It's because He was resurrected. <laughs> because He rose from the dead. So in the Lord's Supper, we also remember that Jesus was resurrected and how we are going to be resurrected as well. So essentially, not just every New Year, but every week, we remember these same things that Israel remembered in the Lord's Supper. God is a God of reminders. You might remember how Jesus said to keep the Lord's Supper. Do this in remembrance of me. We still are reminded just like Israel was reminded in their new year. But in fact, we're reminded every week. So why should we be motivated in 2024? We're going to bring this back to the idea of resolutions versus reminders. Why are we motivated in 2024 to better resolve better service, to improve. I don't think it should be because we're looking at the checklist as our main motivation. I think it should be we're looking at these reminders of who God is and who we are to be motivated in 2024. So some of our reminders this year. First, you are redeemed. You're redeemed. It sounds good, doesn't it? I have been redeemed. Sometimes we sing, redeemed how I love to proclaim it redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You're redeemed. I'm afraid uh, nowadays sometimes the first thing that people think of when they hear redeemed is something about a gift card. Uh, That seems to be the only time that that pops up in our secular world now, redeeming a gift card. But but the idea is there. The idea of redeeming something is, is gaining possession of something in exchange for a payment. Gaining possession of something in exchange for a payment. And that is exactly what you're doing with your Amazon car. Essentially, you're freeing it from bondage. You're, you're, you're getting that possession in exchange for something. But that is the biblical picture of redemption is actually freeing from bondage. The idea of a ransom price, of freeing someone from slavery. That's almost the, the, the main consistent way that it's used in Scripture. We're redeemed... From somewhere where we were a slave and it cost a payment and of course the great example in the old testament of redemption we've talked about already this morning was the exodus how god redeemed israel from slavery in egypt he saved them from death and made them into something new but as we stated before even when god told them that they were going to be redeemed it was hard for them to believe that god begins at the beginning of chapter 6 of exodus telling the people I'm going to redeem you. I'm going with my strong arm to take you out of the land. I'm going to free you from slavery. But the people didn't believe it. Exodus 6, verse 9. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. They didn't believe that God was going to redeem them. Now, we can look at that and say, Israel didn't listen to God. How dare they? And look on them with disdain and contempt. I would have listened, but I think rather we should look on it with pity. The Israelites didn't believe that God could redeem them because their spirits were broken, because of their harsh slavery. Do you remember your slavery? Do you remember where you used to be because of sin? Some of us might, might not remember it all so well because we became Christians very early on, and maybe you don't even remember all that much the life that you used to lead before you came to Christ. But for others, you remember it it very well. You remember how sin used to have its grip on you. Of how you didn't do the things that you wanted to do. How you hurt people when you didn't want to hurt people. How you lived a life that you knew wasn't the life you should lead, but you just didn't know how to get out of it. Maybe even people made suggestions of how to escape. But they all failed. You were in slavery and bondage. Essentially, you were dead. That's how Paul puts it in Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2. He says in Ephesians 2, verse 1, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. You were dead. But Paul says that you were dead. You used to be a slave. You used to be dead, but you're not dead anymore. If you're a Christian here this morning, You're no longer a slave. You're no longer dead. You're no longer under a harsh master because you've been redeemed. You're redeemed. But that redemption cost a price. It cost the highest price. A perfect sacrifice. God gave His only beloved Son. That was the price that it cost. I can't even imagine giving up my daughter, Raina. Can't imagine it. My only beloved daughter. Giving her up. I can't even fathom that. I especially can't fathom giving her up in order to save someone else. I don't care who it is. Family or friends, someone I love. I can't imagine giving her up for someone else, but I definitely can't imagine giving Reyna up for an enemy. Giving Reyna up for someone that doesn't even really appreciate the sacrifice that I'm making. God gave up His Son, His only beloved Son. Not only that, He allowed His Son to suffer, to be challenged, and to be mocked, to be killed. Christians, you know it. You know it. But don't let it become dull. Remember that God paid the ultimate price. God gave His Son for you. For you. You are redeemed. Not only are we redeemed in 2024, let's also remember that we are a new person. You're a new person. You are the new man. You are the new me of 2024. It doesn't take turning the page of a calendar in order to make you into someone new. You already are someone new. This isn't to diminish motivation. It's actually to increase it. Because if we have the mindset of, okay, I have the list of resolutions, I have the checklist, and I'm going to live up to this, and this is what's going to make me new. This is what's going to make God love me more and how I'm going to love God more. You're eventually going to fail. It will fail because we always fall short in some way. That's not the system that works. It doesn't mean we don't try to improve, but why are we improving? The motivation isn't the checklist on the fridge. Motivation is what God has done that you're redeemed, and that you are new. That's why we have resolve, and that's why we have improvement. The resolution doesn't make you the new person. Because you're a new person, you make the resolution. You don't need God to to get you out of Egypt by following the resolutions. You've already been freed from Egypt, and that's why we are resolved. Maybe we can think about it this way. Why do you love your spouse? Why do you love your spouse? How would it work if your spouse asked you, why, why do you love me? That's, that's always a great question. Uh, wh- why do you love me? Uh, well, let me think. You know, back on that day, when was it again? Uh, when we got married? Yeah, that day. Um, back on that day, you know, I, I had these vows, and I committed to these certain things, uh, and I said I would love you in those vows, and there, you know, there's a lot of people that were there that heard me say that, and so I kind of got the pressure of that. You know, I, I said I would, and so, so that's why I love you. How would that work out? Not so well, and we know good and well that's not why you love your spouse. We made that commitment. We made that resolution when we were married because we love our spouse. You see, the love came before the legal document. We love them, and that's why we are resolved to love them. That's, that's how this works. It's about reminders instead of resolutions. Don't read your Bible this year with more intensity, and don't hit your knees harder in prayer this year because you said you would and you posted it on the fridge. Read your Bible with more intensity and hit your knees harder in prayer this year because you're reminded of who God is and who you are. What's, what's the very first commandment? What's the greatest commandment that Jesus gave? Was the greatest commandment to make a perfect list of resolutions, of goals that are measurable and obtainable and achievable? Is that what all the law and the prophets hang on? Not it. <laughs> what well, Was it to, to get the perfect accountability partner so that they can make sure that they bring you back every time you kind of step out of line? Is that what all the law and the prophets hung on? No. <laughs> Love your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Love your God. That's what the law and the prophets hang on. That's the new man. That's the new person. That's the person that rose out of the waters of baptism, someone that now loves God, that isn't forced into loving God, someone that does love God. That's what it means to be the new person, the new man that we love our God. That doesn't mean that we're not going to fail. It doesn't mean we're not going to fall. But it does mean that we're resolved to love our God. And yes, because of that, you're going to get rid of the old leaven. (laughs) Because you love God, you're going to lead a different life. Because you love God, you're going to make changes and make improvements and seek to be more resolved. Peter Peter wrote to the Corinthians about one of of the, the worst situations we find in a church. He talks about a man who has taken his father's wife. He says, this is something that the pagans don't even do. The pagans don't even practice this. And this is what you're doing. He continues on the idea in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Paul writes to the Corinthians that you need to fix the problem, yes. Get rid of the old leaven. Get the terrible situation out of the congregation. Solve the issue first. But then how does he go about trying to make sure that they stay on the right track? Trying to make sure that they're resolved to improve in the future, He doesn't say, okay, we're going to put down a new list of all these resolutions to make sure that this thing never happens again. In fact, let's just go ahead and post a page in the front door of your church building that you have to vow before you walk in the doors, I will not take my father's wife. It's not what he does. Yes, he says in verse 7, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. But then what does he say next? As you really are unleavened. He reminds them of who they are. He reminds them who they're supposed to be. You really are unleavened. This is who you are, Christians at Corinth. That's why you need to get the leaven out, because you are unleavened. For why Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Are you picking up on the unleavened bread and Passover imagery here? Why do we have that resolve? Why are we unleavened? Because we're redeemed. And then notice what he says next. You know, we might expect Paul to say, well, okay, since this terrible thing has gone on, let's go ahead and make sure you fast for a whole month to really make sure, you know, maybe sackcloth and ashes type of thing. That's not what he says. Verse 8, he says, let us therefore celebrate. Celebrate the festival. Now, I understand he's talking about celebrate it properly. You can't celebrate unleavened bread with a bunch of leaven in your back closet, right? So celebrate it properly. But he says, celebrate the festival. Remember who you are. Celebrate in who you are who God is. That was their motivation. That's how Paul motivated a church that was falling apart, seemingly to our eyes, in order to be new. He reminded them who God was and who they were. He said, you're the same new you. And he gave reminders instead of resolutions. Christian, you're a new person. You're a new person. And that should be your motivation in 2024 to have a better walk. You really are unleavened. Yes, do we have leaven in our life that comes in at times? Yes, you might have some right now coming into in 2024. Maybe a sin that you need to deal with. Maybe some habits that are much more worldly than like Christ. Get rid of those. You need to get rid of those. That matters. Paul wasn't saying it doesn't matter, but he was giving you the correct motivation. You're a new person. And also we need to remember that we have a hope for resurrection. We have a hope for resurrection. Paul also wrote about this to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 15. It says, If the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied. But in fact, In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Paul is writing to the Corinthians about the resurrection. You know how I used to kind of read these passages? I used to think what Paul's really mainly getting at is this idea of how, you know, our our faith isn't futile because Jesus rose from the dead and he he proved who he was. My faith isn't just garbage because Jesus proved that he wasn't a phony, he wasn't a fake. Now, that truth is there, and Paul is hitting on that, but that's not his main point. His main point in 1 Corinthians 15 is that because Jesus resurrected, you are going to be resurrected. Because Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection, you are going to be resurrected as well. He continues on the thought in verse 21, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Jesus' resurrection on the Feast of First Fruits was a promise for more to come. It was a promise that we are going to be resurrected one day. Paul says that we don't just have a hope in this life. It's not that you die and you perish and you're done, that we have a hope of life beyond this. You might have heard someone say at some point, you know, I just. All the years that have come before this, 2020, 2023, they're pretty rough. I really don't know if there's really much hope at all for 2024. In fact, I'm actually pretty worried about it. That's not the mindset of a Christian. That's the mindset of the world. We don't have just a hope in this life. We have a hope for the life to come. We have a hope for a resurrection. I'm sure there's some in this room this morning that are going through a tough season in your life. Um, it, it might seem that, that the things that are coming at you, the things that are going to continue to come at you in 2024 sometimes can overwhelm you. It seems like sometimes things are really bad. Sometimes it seems like things are just really bad. But your hope is not just in this life. It's not just in this life. We have a hope for a resurrection, because Jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection. We have a hope to be with God one day. There's not going to be pain. There's not going to be sorrow. There's not going to be tears. you believe it? That's what God wants us to be reminded of in 2024. You're redeemed. You were dead. You were dead, but you were made alive. You're a new person. You're unleavened. You have a hope for resurrection. I think we keep those reminders in our mind in 2024 They can be even better in 2023. There's nothing wrong with resolutions. I've made some resolutions myself. I think they can be a very good thing. But let's be careful in this year not to make our list of resolutions our primary motivation, but for our motivation to be who God is and what God has done. Thank you for your attention this morning. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at the We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can, but thank you for connecting with us.